your clients know to come to you. In my case, it would be KurtEuler.com if I was an agent. That's where they would come to. So that personal brand and a website that I can funnel all of my other marketing efforts to, those two things are what I've seen completely differentiate agents that have growing businesses versus those that don't. Welcome to the My Future Business Show, where we get you in front of your best audience and keep you there. Not only are we interviewing the biggest names in business to help you become even more successful, we're inviting you to book your spot on the show to help you grow your business. So at the end of the call, make sure you fill in the interview application form at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. Hi, and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. It's Rick Nusky. I am so privileged to be your host because I get to speak with incredibly talented people who are doing amazing things in their business, in their life, and so on. On today's call, that is absolutely uh, true and certain of my next guest, which is Mr. Kurt Euler. Welcome to the show, Kurt. Thank you for having me, Rick. Oh, look, it's uh, it's wonderful to, to have you here. Like I've just been talking about, Kurt, I've been running through your bio, and to say that it is impressive, it uh, is, uh, I guess, undercutting it. And uh, we're going to we obviously diving into a lot. We just simply can't cover everything. You've done so much. Now, um, what I like to do, Kurt, is um, l- uh, start off the call by learning a little bit, I guess, more about you. I know that uh, you live in a, in a beautiful location. I'm wondering if you can tell the to tell our guests where you live uh, I live in Atlanta Georgia so, in the United States have you have you always lived there uh, I have not I spent uh, ten and a half years based out of Chicago but we uh, we built up a, a pretty good-sized company there so I felt like I lived on a plane for a good while I had uh, <laughs> I had teams on six different continents and I was as likely to walk into an office in Singapore um, for the meeting as I would be having a video call. So Yeah, absolutely. Now, for everybody, just for some context, if I might, Kurt, uh, we're going to be talking about, obviously, everything to do with real estate, real estate websites, marketing, and why realtors must have a website in order to succeed, along with um, a little bit about Showcase IDX, of which you are the Chief Marketing Officer. Yep. So that's uh, something for everybody to look forward to. Now, I've, I've seen a few images of you um, hiking. What do you like to do in your pastime? Uh, I used to be I used to be what you'd call an adrenaline junkie. Yes. Now, now that I'm married, my wife has a slightly different uh, <laughs> sense of adventure and risk tolerance than me. So, but we both enjoy the outdoors and being active. So we spend a fair bit of time hiking uh, some mountain property with the family and um, trying to get outdoors as much as we can. Now, talking about adrenaline junkie, Kurt, I know that you used to handle alligators. Tell us a little bit about that craziness. <laughs> yeah, I um, I. Uh, I met a gentleman in a bar once in Chicago and having come from the country, uh, rural America, you learn in different skills as you do in many parts of uh, you know, rural <laughs> places around the world. And I asked him what he did and he, he ran a stunt company. And so yep. uh, about four days later, I started moonlighting with him, uh, learning uh, stunt work and then eventually training pe- uh, people for movies and commercials and picked up a few strange hobbies like uh, handling alligators. <laughs> that is wonderful. Did you do any other sort of stunt work? Oh, I would actually consider that stunt work myself. <laughs> a fair bit, a fair bit of uh, fight choreography. That's I have a innate ability to pick up a fight style, and even though I may not be able to actually practice that, I can make it look really good on film. <laughs> That's excellent. Now, when uh, you know, I'd like to, I guess, go back a little bit with my guests and talk a little bit about what it was like growing up. Do you remember what it was like growing up, and do you have one fond memory that you could share with us? Gosh, the um, it feels like a weird fond memory for some people to hear, but it's like 
I, I remember at the earliest age just enjoying grinding out work. My, uh, my, mom, my mom came from a, a very rural farm fam family where they would work an extra, uh, they would work all summer to have an extra dress for school. And I remember, you know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, it's been dark for hours. We're still raking leaves. And my, uh. my dad did very well, but I'm like, mom, why are we doing this? And she's like, because there's still work to be done. And, and while some people look at it and go, that was work, like that was also time with my parents. And so it taught me a lot about uh, uh, diligence and work. Yeah, that's excellent. I love to talk about ethics a little bit later on and how, I guess, your relationships have honed you into the man that you've become. Um, just for everybody's uh, sake of knowing, you've actually worked alongside uh, presidents of the United States. You're a top-level advisor. I've seen some incredible footage of you doing exactly those things. Now, um, when you were growing up, you've talked about y your parents. Who in your formative years really helped shape you beyond your parents to become the person you are today, do you think? Uh, I've had a series of mentors that have just stepped up, uh, stepped up over time. Some were my dad's friends that had been in the military with him. Mm -hmm. But really, like I look at kind of in junior high, there was a woman named Joan Wedgworth who had been a, uh, um, a the body of bodybuilder winning like the Hawaiian championships. Mm -hmm. And she was a dental hygienist, but in a small town, she also had a gym. She, she treated me like an adult, um, started paying me to help open up and close the gym. And um, she actually kind of stepped up from a mentoring perspective throughout junior high and high school and uh, opened my eyes to things that I just never would have expected before. And at the time, I did not fully appreciate um, both what she was teaching me, but also the fact that she didn't teach treat me like a 14-year-old. She treated me with the responsibility and kind of life uh, as you would a full-grown adult. So. Yeah, she saw something in you that was very special. Now, you, you are a very busy individual. You will have to manage your time. You would have to manage your health. What does a day look like for you? And is it, is it important to have downtime? It is important to have downtime. Uh, my day starts sometime between 4 and 4.30 every morning. Uh, I'm a member of a, of a gym here in Atlanta called Iron Tribe Fitness. Uh, kind, of, kind of CrossFit-like, high-intensity workouts. I'm there by 5.30 almost every morning religiously but that lets me get that day that part of the day done and i know i've accomplished a huge bit i come back i usually do some quiet time i read my bible i read some books that i'm into i usually try to take my uh, my young son who's almost two years old now as we're recording this i try to take him for the first few hours so my wife can sleep in and slowly kind of roll in the day um, that sets much of the tone for my day but my day really still even getting up that hour doesn't end cl until closer to midnight I make sure I take time with my wife. I finished my uh, my day job at 5 p.m. this morning or this afternoon. Mm -hmm. My wife and I went to a park. Um, we always make time for things like that. And you know, she'll go to bed long before me because I just don't sleep very much. So no. I am blessed with being able to get a few more hours out of the day than most people. You talked about your, your, your young family and I always think about um, what inspires people. Do you think what inspires you today, Kurt, has changed compared to maybe say 10 years ago? What drives you? I think it has. Um, I mean, to some degree, I've been blessed with being, you know, having worked enough and um, been on teams where it's like I don't necessarily fully have to work, um, and so that shifts for you a lot when you when when you've been highly accomplished before. So very much now, I work for very different purposes. Before I think about so many of the leaders that poured into me over time and look at the best way for, that I can train and multiply myself as a leader is to continue leading teams and doing things at scale so that others can learn what was taught to me. 
Yeah, because you're also uh, an inventor, you're an operator, you're a marketing leader. Uh, you're so many different things to so many different people. Where do you find the time and what is your focus right now? Um, I find the times, we all have time. I find that, mm -hmm. you know, we will either make excuses for what we didn't do or we're going to make excuses for what we did do. There's nothing wrong with net watching Netflix or Hulu if mm -hmm. that's what you intentionally want to do with your time. But for me, my wife and I don't do that very much. So we make excuses of why we don't watch the latest show to, to find time to do other things. But we separate, we segment our time very much um, the way a lot of people kind of even plan and steward their money, where you may have a budget for that. We do the same thing with our personal time and with the skills that we believe we've been given. And so that come part of that stewarding, make sure that we have downtime for ourselves as well. Thank you for sharing. I love um, reading through my guest website and I'm especially excited when I can see that there's significant levels of content there that give you a great insight. Now, uh, you touched on family earlier, but I'd like you, if you could please, to dig a little bit deeper on the family of grinders. What does that actually mean? Yeah, I mean, from a family of grinders, I mean, I mentioned the story a little bit, you know, being, you know, 10, 11 years old and my mom keeping us working, you know, at kind of all hours of the night because there was work to be done. But I would spend, you know, weeks with my Aunt Bobby, her sister, uh, during the summers. And the same type of thing I got, I got taught from that was there's work to be done. And, and why do you do it? You don't always enjoy that work, but you need to grind it out. Whether, yep. you know, it's the same thing as showing up at the gym. But it's like, you know, we, we kind of joke nowadays, people are like, I don't like adulting. Like, I don't mind, actually, <laughs> I, I don't mind the money coming out to pay the, say, pay the bills. I just don't like the act of having to sit down and actually physically pay the bills. Yes. But it's like, <laughs> but, but so that's something I have to grind out. But I kind of look at it as, and I, I tell people whether you're, they're just out of school, they're interning with us until, you know, they, they've been a 20 or 30 year seasoned professional and they're working with me on one of my teams. Like there's grunt work that we all have to do. Yeah. So, you know, it's to some degree that grinding it out was taught to me at that youngest level. And I'm like, look, it's going to look very different for me as a CMO and operator of a, a large business now mm. than it would be for an intern. But just knowing other people and I haven't grind that out because I look back, my mom did that. My dad slept even less hours than I do, always kept two full time jobs. And I, you know, before he passed, I asked him a lot of questions like that. And he was like, well, what would I do with my downtime? Like, there, I've been given skills to serve others. This is what you need to do. So very much a lot of my growing up was kind of that having to grind things out rather than being lax and not being a good steward of what we've been given. Yeah, again, thank you. Um, I know that you had heavy involvement in uh, mobile game development and other sorts of game development. Is that related to the other statement where you talk about easy hacker and hustler? Is there any relationship there? It's not, not, yeah, I mean, it's not what I'm doing right now. I've always been at the cutting edge of technology. Yep, finding, um, yeah, and, and finding ways to kind of hack together technologies that others have not done before. Mm -hmm. And so we did, we created location-based gaming long before, you know, Pokemon Go. We invented the technology that's been licensed by Nintendo and others um, and put together um, a different way of developing both mobile games and actually physical games. like. Microsoft Flight Simulator X was built on the technology that my teams put together. Oh, wow. That never existed before. I play that. Yeah. What was that? I used that. I actually played that simulator. That's <laughs> wonderful. So, so when they came out with Flight Simulator X and you could drive over your house, your neighborhood, maybe the house wasn't exactly perfect, but, but they got but, that immense, a massive world um, from using our data and actually creating that world differently than anyone else had ever done in video games before that. 
Kurt, earlier we talked about what motivates you. Um, it seems to me that it's no longer about money. How, how important is money in the big scheme of things and how should entrepreneurs look at it? Should it be their driving force early on? Uh, it's, it maybe should be their driving force. It depends on where they're at in their business. I don't fault anybody that, that their, their core desire is to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, I love working with people that have a core set of morals and characteristics and that's why they may be working. And I love working with people that their core desire is to make more money. That can be great as well. You know where both sides of those people stand. Um, and so it's easy to work with those. Um, I think though, when you're early on as an entrepreneur or, or you're running your own business or a small team, you have to keep an eye on on cash flow. I mean, cash flow is the lifeblood that allows you to pay yourself. But also, if you have employees, you're you're responsible then for them, for their families if they have families. And so, if you're not aware of the cash flow and the revenue, then you're going to let them down because I mean, it's really easy to to lose a couple of customers when you're small yeah. and you're just getting started. I mean, it's still a big impact if you're, you know, you've got a seven figure business, eight figure business like many of us do, you still never want to lose half a million dollars, a million dollars in revenue. But but if you only have three quarters of a million dollars in revenue and you're running a team of four or five people and you lose a big client like that, mm-hmm. that's, I mean, that's not a great thing. No. Um, but at some time though, I think it, your mentality when you've made a lot of success like some of us have and some many of the people I've coached have, money is something different. At this point, do I need it to pay my mortgage? No, but I know what the impact of my money can do for others. And so in that case, like I have a, a friend that ran another SaaS company. His average sales price was only $100 um, per, per customer, which on a monthly basis isn't a lot, but it's no. still good money. But he had let his foot off the gas for a couple of years until he went to go see where these large checks that him and his wife have been writing. And he's talking to the, to, to the gentleman who, run, who ran the school and, you know, the school, uh, the teachers were walking through about how expensive teachers are. And they kind of cut the story short. He figures out that a teacher only costs $100 or $1,100 a, a month. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, he kind of does the calculation. He's like, I've been, I've completely just been phoning in my job doing it lightly for my company, not pushing sales and marketing. And he realized I could easily sell 10. Heck, I could easily sell 200 new subscription every month, which would just be new teachers, new teachers. And so he came back completely reinvigorated differently about what money meant to him at that point because he knew what the impact was gonna be when they wrote those later checks. Thank you for sharing. I, I, I wanna dig a little bit uh, deeper into this this title of operator. I know it's been following you around for years. I have no idea what it means. I'm wondering if you could tell us a bit more about it. Well, I, I find a lot of times when you think, when, when we look at entrepreneurs, especially entrepreneurs that haven't succeeded, they haven't scaled, they mm-hmm. were often very creative. They maybe yeah. had a problem. They even found the right solution. But what they weren't good at was what um, was keeping the lights on, keeping a schedule, making sure things were done on time, um, taking things off their own plates. That takes a different type of mentality. And so some of it may have been coming from a military father, but um, I've always been called an operator. I mean, I, I joined the state rescue squad at 14 mm-hmm. um, due to some skills from my father as well. And started leading, you know, you know, 30, 40, 50 year old men in rescue operations at those times at 14. And because I was told I triaged well. And so I kind of take that into business where I find I often work with people um, that I've run, that are, have built a seven figure, eight figure uh, annual business. 
but what's held them back from making that a hundred million dollar plus business is they're a little bit more on the creative side and what they need is somebody like me they can come in and make sure operations run really smoothly and at scale i mean it's a little bit even in terms of marketing marketing used to be something very different 50 years ago when coming up with a brand slogan or the commercial was all that it is yeah that that's completely different nowadays than there's a different skill set for those of us that are 10x or 100x marketers yeah. than somebody who comes up with a story because we think in a more of an engineering process. Absolutely, this is wonderful insight. Now, um, I want to, if we could, if we could pivot to um, your involvement with the, I guess, uh, realtors and real estate industry. How did that come about? I uh, I had a fraternity brother reach out to me um, that had sold, he had started the company I'm at today, but he had so recently sold off another company. And he literally reached out and said, hey, I heard that after one of the companies you started, you took 18 months off just to hang out with your wife and get to know her more. That seems like a really difficult discussion. Can you walk me through what that's like so I can maybe talk with my wife about that? <laughs> um, he, and he's been very successful before. And um, literally, as we started talking, he, he went, would you mind talking to this company that, I'm, uh, that, I'm, uh, that I also started? They have a CEO that's great. Their technology is, is orders of magnitude better than any of the competition, but they might just need a little bit of help. And I, I have a heart for underdogs. And <laughs> um, five days later, I started with that company. Um, and and it was, it's been great since then. The company's grown immaculately, largely from the team that we put behind it. But mm -hmm. also, um, we started telling the stories of, of, of the customers that they already had. Yeah, that's wonderful. Now, um, in your breakdown, we, we had a, a long list of things to talk about. Now, I, I really want to get to the crux of it, where it's at for realtors today. What are some of the critical things in, uh, that they need in their, in their toolkit to succeed, do you think? It's, it's different depending on what country, but especially in the US and in Canada, um, where there's this dominant uh, gorilla known as Zillow um, that consumers are, are just used to going to for the home search. Mm -hmm. um, agents have to have completely shift for how, they're mar how they market. They have to have a website at the hub of what they're doing because otherwise, if, if they may have a client that they worked with before, that client goes to Zillow or goes to one of these big national portals they, their contact information is always going to be sold to a competitive agent. And so what we've realized, what I realized as a marketer before I came into real estate, much more so after I've been in, is the agents that have growing businesses have to have like two core things. They have to have a personal brand that they've been cultivating for a while. I mm -hmm. mean, a while might just be in six months, but I mean, if they've been in the business for five or six years or longer, they've been working on a brand, but, but that needs to be honed for them partially because they change brokerages on average every five years. And so if you were with Keller Williams one year or Remax another, and now you move over to Compass or EXP or something, well, your brand should be you. It should be Kurt Euler, not that necessarily that whoever you're hanging your shingle underneath so that your clients know to come to you. In my case, it would be KurtEuler.com if I was an agent. Yep. And they need that. that's where they would come to. So that personal brand and a website that I can funnel all of my other marketing efforts to, those two things are what I've seen completely differentiate agents that have growing businesses versus those that don't. So um, you talk a lot about B2B storytelling. Um, would that be important to, to realtors to be able to tell stories in their business? Yeah, I mean, Everything, everything in marketing fundamentally is storytelling, and it's thinking about that story arc. 
Mm-hmm. Um, in our case, I've kind of reshaped everything um, from from marketing and customer success to, if you think about it, like said, we have a product that sells to real estate agents. Yep. So from anything from they've never heard of our company until after they've been a successful customer for five years, that's all a story at some point. That's all their perception. And so that first interaction of maybe seeing an ad on Google or seeing an ad on Facebook is part of bringing them the prelude into that story. That applies very much for real estate agents. And so um, it applies from how they tell their stories to the consumers that they may work with to buy and sell homes, but also working with other businesses. Good real estate agents are partnering with other local businesses, estate planners, financial planners, attorneys, CPAs. And so part of sharing what they do and how they help clients and how that may work with some of those partners is part of that B2B storytelling as well. Somewhere in the uh, breakdown, Kurt, I read that you had analyzed more than 50,000 real, uh, real estate website. Uh, what did you learn from that? What is the, I guess, the key takeaway that you could share with us? Yeah, uh, 50,000 websites, websites is a lot to go through. Um, <laughs> And uh, part of that is, and one of the reasons I'm still with the company that we've grown with is, I mean, we our, our company has stood out as one of the core powering technologies behind a lot of the successfuls. But mm-hmm. the really thing that I've looked at is the difference between agents that are um, focused on helping their clients versus those that are just talking about themselves. And so a lot of agents, you know, read their bios and things, and they'll go out and they'll talk about, you know, I, I just like helping people you know, buy and sell homes or they'll talk about something strange. That's completely different than the agents that are talking about, I've helped 50 clients in just like you, Rick, and the niche that you're in. And they start yep. telling that story. And that, that story that they tell on their sites and throughout their marketing, um, that's, that's what I see kind of consistent that plays with everybody. And they're doing more than just, much more than just having a website. They may be very big on, on social media. They may be very big in their community, but, but they're, those websites, I can go out and I've did the, done this through the uh, research that we did. Mm-hmm. I can see that they usually kept their website for many, many years. Like if they had a website that was five years old, like they didn't bounce multiple sites. They built, found core technology like Showcase IDX and they yep. built around that. And then you can find no matter whether they love social media, whether it's TikTok or Facebook, or they're that community organizer. You can find that digital footprint that shows that they're funneling people back to that hub of their personal site. And that treatment of the those the the top people within the that fifty thousand sites, when you can look at their traffic growing year over year, it is that they treat their websites as kind of that hub of their their own personal brand and how they're helping others. There are so many moving parts to, I guess, the digital marketing space in general. Um, in terms of content creation uh, and content marketing strategy, is it has it changed or is it, is it fundamentally the same thing? Do people need to keep doing that and do they need email lists and do so on and so forth? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, you definitely need email lists. I mean, uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, they can all change their algorithm on any day. So if you don't have a way to still go back and reach out to your uh, your, your clients or potential clients yeah. uh, through an email list, through SMS text, um, that you could be, just be cut off. So your business could change like that. But from a pure content perspective, you asked about, it's changed a lot. I mean, early on, even in social media and influencer marketing, and I helped start with some of those channels. I mean, brands could get away with, they didn't have the competition. They could just talk about their products all the time. And and now that's not the case. I, no. I mean, I think about like real estate agents are the easiest way to kind of see this example everywhere. 
It's not just that because I live there every day. Well, how often do most people move their homes? And like in the States, it kind of falls into like every five years or every 10 years until you hit a certain age. Well, mm-hmm. if I'm following you on social media or if I'm subscribed to your blog and I move on average, average every 10 years, that means nine out of those 10 years, nine and a half out of those 10 years, I'm not moving. So if all you're talking about is your latest uh, listing of, uh, that you got posted, this close, you help somebody refinance, like just things about core active buyers, yeah. I'm gonna unsubscribe from your blog list. Pretty so quickly. what's changed is you have to provide content for people when they're not actively buying so that you stay top of mind. Yeah, because you, you, uh, you stay relevant as well, don't you? Very much so. And, and it's good for helping, for being there to help people that you've helped in the past, but it's also you're, you're there then to, to really get, you get referrals that you never would have received otherwise. Um, in some cases, it you know it's not things that may or may not ever lead to a direct sale. Right then, my wife and I are likely going to put in a uh, to stay in real estate. We're likely going to put it in a bathroom into a storage area in our uh, uh, in our main house. Yeah. Well, before I did that, I reached out to the to the real estate agent that we worked with at Keller Williams, and I said, "Hey, Bobby, can can you give me just a little bit about like, am I going to make my money back?" I'm, I'm going to do this anyways, probably, but but what's my range about where I would still make my investment back uh-huh. when I eventually sell the house? Like, I'm probably not going to move for five to 10 years or more. I love, we yeah. love this house. Yeah. I swear, Bobby's, the response he gave back, he did some, comp- uh, some, some competitive market analysis. He probably spent an hour and a half on the response that he gave me. Yeah, well. Like, and, and for something he's not getting paid for in this moment. And so because of that, he stays top of mind. He definitely shows his value. I've told that story about Bobby Lyerly, and I don't know how many podcasts at this point, because <laughs> he represents what I think agents and, and any marketer or entrepreneur should be doing for thinking about content or how they serve their customers. And as you do, you, you're all about adding that value and that goodwill, and it's and it's obvious for everyone to see who's on the call today. Now, if we could momentarily spend a little bit on uh, Showcase IDX, could you tell us about what that is and how it works? Yeah, so IDX is actually, um, it's a technology, it's also a set of guidelines, but in the United States or in Canada, it's how we actually pull uh, real estate information from local real, realtor associations. And so in the US, there's about 600 of those. Yeah. And so we pull that data into our tool, um, large portals may pull that into theirs, and then we build those home search tools so that somebody, I live in Roswell, Georgia, so that when somebody goes onto an agent's website and wants to search for condos in Roswell, Georgia, single family homes of half a million to uh, you know $550,000 um, with four bedrooms, that all of those search things are all part of what IDX is. Wow. And so Showcase IDX is by far the number one rated uh, IDX and home search that agents use to build their website and actually retain their customers. So we do have competitors, but they're good for lead generation, but the consumers usually don't like to use their uh, products for too long for actually their home search. That's very different with ours. Our, our, our agents stay with us. We have almost no churn because they find out when their past clients or their leads that they get um, come to their website that's powered by us, they stay. They actually yeah. do their home search on that agent's website. I'm interested from a realtor's perspective, let's say I'm a realtor and I want to get involved with Showcase IDX and I have no idea. I'm always interested uh, about the onboarding sequence. Is it difficult to understand and onboard somebody new? 
It's very simple to get started as it's only that we can only provide data um, through our tools for where the real estate agent or the realtors, because those are two different things, yep. um, but, but where they are a member. So in the US, they're called multiple listing services. And so you have to be a member of the MLS. And if you are, then the onboarding is really easy. I mean, in most cases, it's like an electronic signature by you and maybe your broker. And some people can get set up in just a, you know, a couple of hours in some cases, once their MLS approves that we can provide data to them. But um, not all agents can build their own website. So a lot of them will work with partners. And yep. uh, we, we also, so we also work with a lot of marketing agencies. Um, we also work with, I joke, we work with a lot of 14 year old daughters that's helping their oh, uh, yeah. their, their, their dad <laughs> or their mom build out their website. Cause they're much they more probably know more than you and me. Absolutely. <laughs> and so they'll get a website that looks like stellar up like that with showcase. So <laughs> how annoying. <laughs> well, the, the, the moms and dads are really happy that they're not having to go to an outside marketing agency for that. So, so it's essentially a, a like, a, like a membership and then you pay your membership, you get access to showcase IDX and then you can build a website around it. Is that correct? Well, you're you're a member you're a member of uh, of the local MLS, so that when you say list a house, that data can be shared by other uh, access by other agents that are members as well. We're a SaaS technology, a platform technology that pulls in that data. So you'd have to be a member of your local uh, MLS, of yep. which all real estate agents and uh, realtors are, and then you just sign up for our service. And I mean, since so you may get started the same day. Usually it's two to three days, depending on their approval process from the MLS. And then we have an onboarding team that their entire job is to just make sure that you're successful. And so Paulo and Reba on the team, um, they work with this wonderful woman named Tiffany. They literally, they'll do nothing but make sure that check-ins with you and that you know how to use our product, whether you're building the site yourself or you're working with uh, one of our partners to make sure that they're gonna kind of handhold you for the first 90 days um, before we know that you're on a really good path to success. Yeah, I, I love this. So I'm always interested in the progression of software because I know that with our ongoing development, it's a dead duck in the water. What sort of, uh, I guess, investment are you putting into the development of Showcase IDX in the future? I, it's a large multi-million dollar investment. So uh, we've added, just in the last six months, we've probably added 20 to 21 people to our team. Oh, so wow. um, it's a large product and engineering team, and that's on top of what we already had. Um, and then we also just brought on board a, a new gentleman, as I mentioned, uh, those uh, multiple listing services. We, we've grown enough that um, we brought on a gentleman named Scott Trowbridge. His entire job is just relationships with those multiple listing services to help us onboard them so we can have access to more data to expand to even more areas to help more agents. What an incredible call. I've, I've learned so much about you in such a short amount of time. Now for anybody who's listening, Kurt, um, that wants to get involved with Showcase IDX and in fact, learn more about you directly, where are the two places that are they're, they're likely to find you? Well, if, if, they're in real, if they're in real estate, hopefully they already know about us, but they can go to showcaseidx.com uh, and, and learn everything about the product. They can get a free trial there. As far as me personally, kurtuler.com uh, is my hub, is my personal hub. Well, I'm not an agent. I do practice what I preach. So <laughs> I, you can find me on Facebook, on LinkedIn. I'm sometimes on Twitter, Pinterest, other places around. I do a lot of keynote talks. But everything ends up finding its way back to my website because that's that's one of the properties that I can control and also make sure that I can communicate with people and, and help them. 
Well, to help you out, Kurt, I, I would love everybody who's on the call today to make sure you reach out to either Kurt at KurtEuler.com or you go to Showcase IDX. In either case, I'll be making sure that the links back to both Kurt and Showcase IDX are available below this post. No matter where you see it, you will find those links. And with that all being said, Kurt, thank you so very much for spending some time with me on the My Future Business Show today. Thank you for having me, Rick. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the call, then make sure to subscribe, leave a comment, share us with your friends, and book your spot on the show at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. And if you're looking for solutions that will help grow your business, then visit myfuturebusiness.com forward slash shop.